You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to Intercepted. I'm here with a very special Chicago Bears fan, Robert Mays of The Athletic. Say what's up to the people, Robert. What's going on, guys? Happy to be here. All right. So the first question I want to ask you, because for the SB Nation NFL show, we've basically gotten four months, five, six months of content just out of Matt Nagy, everything that's happening around the Chicago Bears. So Just mining a- my pain. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I just want you to explain like the journey you have taken as a Chicago Bear fan since it became clear that Matt Nagy was going to be retained to be the head coach of your team in 2021. That well that first part is just an admission and you having to get used to the fact that we're just getting back on the merry-go-round again. Like we're just there's no we're not going anywhere. Just it's in a circle that goes very slowly and up and down but stays in the same place. And that's what it felt like with this coaching staff. It just felt like they were so stuck in a rut and unable to break out of whatever that was. And then the Justin Fields thing thing happens. And that feels like a way to break that cycle in some capacity, right? Because they they wanted a quarterback. They needed a quarterback. It could have been a bunch of guys. It could have been Russell Wilson if the Seahawks would have been more willing to make that deal. It could have been Carson Wentz if things had gone a different way. They knew they needed to make a move at quarterback, and Justin Fields just happened to be the move. And that's why when that happened, my response was excitement because I loved Justin Fields as a prospect. But in the same time, I still understood nothing else about the franchise had changed. Everyone else that had still been there and had created that soulless merry-go-round that we were all on was still in charge. So you can only be so excited when you have very little faith in the people who are actually making the decisions. And that was borne out (laughs) over the first part of the season where you don't know what the quarterback situation is going to look like when he actually gets to play. It's a disaster. I mean, one of the most embarrassing offensive performances in the NFL that I can remember, just a quarterback and a play caller that looked completely out of their depth and completely unable to handle that situation. And then Bill Lazor takes over and the formula looks like it should with this version of your, of your quarterback at this current stage under center run game, big time play action. Let him throw the ball 20 times a game. He's averaging some ridiculous, like 12.5 air yards per attempt. Like that's the actual recipe that I think makes sense right now. But so now they win a couple games. The defense looks pretty good. And now I'm in this place where I don't know what to want. Because it seems to be working. Like this version of the formula is what they should do in 2021. But let's say they go like nine and eight and Fields looks promising, but it's this makeshift offense that you've had to construct from your offensive coordinator who isn't the overall architect of the offensive system, but is the one calling plays. And it's working in the short term because it's really the only solution. But what's the long-term answer? And should you have turnover on the coaching staff? And that's where I am now. It's like, what do I want to happen over the next 10 games or so? The answer is I want Justin Fields to look good. Like that is the most important thing is to shepherd his development for the remainder of the season. But if this goes fairly well, then you retain the coaching staff. And it's one of those moments where it's like, well, Matt Nagy, if you're an offensive coach who doesn't call plays, and has been removed in a lot of ways from what this offense looks like, what exactly do you do here? And that's kind of where I'm at right now, is that I am feeling pretty good about the component parts of what their approach is a football team at this current moment, but I don't know what it's supposed to look like for the next 12 months. That's 
exactly how I feel about the Chicago Bears. So that that's good that a fan is in that same spot too, where I'm a, a fairly of- fatalistic fan. If it's so that <laughs> that may tinge my thought process here. I think a lot of other people just want to see them win and like this is it. We can do do it with this version. I am not there. I, I do not believe that this is the correct version for the next five years. But in this moment, I think it gives them the best chance to win some football games. And maybe that's a bad thing. I don't know. It's, it's always tough, right? I mean, that's why when your organization needs to change and evolve, a lot of organizations elect to just like clean break, right? Clean yes. break so no one can play the little political games where just like you were talking about. So Matt Nagy has to step down as a play caller. Bill Lazor gets, gets the reins. Okay, well, Matt Nagy's on. He has two years left in his deal. The NFL doesn't really do lame duck head coaching seasons. So at the end of this year, there's going to have to be a decision on either we cut Matt Nagy a year out early or we're going to extend him for at least another season because that's how the NFL basically operates. But then what happens when Bill Lazor is the, actually the guy that you want to tie into with Justin Fields? Like if Justin Fields has a solid end of the season, you know, he's looking like he has the past two games for, for the remainder of the year. There's a good chance like 2022, Bill Lazor gets the tap on the shoulder and is like, hey, you know, how about you come interview for some head coaching jobs? And then Bill Lazor's at the building. You still got Nagy. You still got Ryan Pace, right? And then you start wondering, like, are these actually the people that I want to build a team around Justin Fields for his career? Like, th- those are all the little things that that end up adding up at the end. And then, you know, Matt Nagy was talking in the presser, like, even though he he uh, turned over the play calling duties to Bill Lazor, he's like, hey, I just want to be clear here. Like, everything goes through me. I want to put it in the papers. Everything goes through me. And you could just see all the little political ploys being played out and you know to your point I I think that coaching staff probably realized at least the landscape of the team was in the same position that you know you were describing right where it's like hey we got to build around Justin Fields everything is about Justin Fields Um, the only way we keep our jobs is if Justin Fields eventually starts looking good which is why they're playing so coy at the beginning but it seems like over the last two games you know you talked about that Browns game where the offensive play calling and who you have under center are just like completely divorced. And it's like, you're not doing anything leaning into what his positives are, but the last two games they've done pretty good. I mean, who knows what the Raiders staff now looking back, right. What was going through during game week and how that may have impacted the game. Um, They did play well against the lions, but the lions aren't, I mean, they're a competitive team. They're just not a very talented team is kind of the way I would describe the Detroit lions at this point. But yeah, it's just a, what a weird franchise and what a like odd microcosm of like all of the little pressures, right. That come in NFL football. It's one of those things where this is a similar conversation to the one that happened last year, right. Where laser takes over play calling. And that's why, even if it looks good and is acceptable at this stage, I don't really have any interest in figuring out what the 2.0 version of the Bill Blazer led Chicago Bears offense looks like, because last year, the only thing they did to make their offense functional over the second half of the season was just steal a Xerox copy of every Shanahan offense that we see. It was just building the plane out of boots and downhill outside zone runs. And that's fine, but I don't know where that goes. And that's kind of how I feel right now. It's like, they're doing some interesting stuff in the run game. They're doing a much better job of, if we're going to push the ball down the field vertically, like we need just chips built into what we're doing, heavy play action. It's like, it's fine, but it's, to me, it is such a makeshift version of so many better offenses out there. And it's really just got them to functionality. And I don't know where it goes from here. So that's my thing is like, yeah, this version looks better by comparison, but I don't know where the next step of this should go. And I don't think those guys in the building are the people to take it there. Right. Yeah, that's always tough. So is that the answer? You're still not not sold on the uh, Nagy and Pace administration? Oh, that's God, no. That's where I'm at. But God, no. Oh, my God. Why <laughs> would I be? I there, There's nothing about the administration and the people. The, the choices of those two don't give me a lot of enthusiasm about what could come next. Like, I think that Sean Desai has done a very solid job. Uh, we'll talk about the Bears defense here in a second. I think hiring him was a good idea. I think that I'm always interested in coaches that come from that place. Those guys who've had a bunch of different roles over a bunch of different regimes. 
I think that it's a really good way to understand what you want to do because you've seen a bunch of different coaching staffs, both schematically and in terms of how they handle things. And Kevin Stefanski comes from that place. And I think that it's a useful football education. And that's why I thought the Desai was an interesting choice for that job. And I do like some of the things they're doing defensively, but this is the same conversation we've had since Nagy got the job. The defense at times has looked very good, like in 2018. And right now it looks pretty good. I don't think that we should retain the offensive side of the coaching staff because the defense looks pretty good. So I'm in a very similar place and a very familiar place as a Bears fan that is always a little bit skeptical of what's going on there. So let's talk about in this game, right? When Chicago has the ball, I want to talk about this offensive line first and foremost. Um, you guys are banged up. That's not great. Uh, Tevin Jenkins, I feel, I honestly feel real bad for both the kid and um, the program for that one, because it sounds like from the people that I've talked to, right, that the Tevin Jenkins back injury that popped up was not something that necessarily could have been told through uh, like combine medicals, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's an injury that was kind of on the radar, but had advanced um, basically after they had drafted him. And he was a hell of an offensive tackle. And the fact that we're basically not getting a look at him, his rookie year, I think very much hurts you guys. And now, you know, Jason Peters uh, probably uh, fell off a cliff two years ago, but he's being asked to, to perform right now. And he's doing that. And it looks like, you know, Elijah Wilkinson is probably going to end up starting for you guys this week. Goodness great. So just give me your perspective on this offensive line so far. Like how, how have they been able to make it out through these last two games? I think that Peters has actually played okay. You know, that, that Cleveland game, there were some pretty public failings in that game, and he looked right. awful on a couple of very public It's tough plays. when you're going against Miles Garrett, too. Yes, and without any help. And so I think that the way that they've played over the last few games where very few straight dropbacks, you know, a ton of help, really making sure that this is an offensive line that's insulated, both with the help they're getting in pass protection, a decent amount of play action, and – so the, the way the run game is working. I mean, last week, I think Alex Bars played 13 snaps for them as a sixth offensive lineman, trying to create numbers in the run game, trying to create angles in the run game. Just a lot of zone runs where the center doesn't have to be right or wrong. Like Sam Mustafer is not going to dominate people. You just take the nose wherever he wants to go, and the running backs will figure it out. And that's kind of what the run game looks like right now. And then they're doing some interesting stuff where, you know, again, stealing back numbers and Peters has actually made some really kind of splash plays when he's been featured in the run game. So I think that that element of it looks okay. And in pass protection, we'll see what happens with Wilkinson in there because if Fetty hasn't been good when he hasn't been given a lot of help. So I think it's even more, has to be even more of a focus of, we're not going to put these guys on islands ever. Like, you just have to make sure that through formation, through play calling through everything that these guys are getting some semblance of help on every single play, because that's why the offense has been able to function over the last couple of weeks is because that has been at the front of the mind of the people calling plays and designing them. Defensively. So green Bay up front, they definitely struggled, right? They, they went two full NFL games without getting a tackle for loss in the run game. <laughs> Kenny Clark, uh, you can hang your hat on him. He didn't have a great week one, but since then he's been seems like he's well. back though, right? He played really yeah. well last week. Yeah, no, it was it was like week one. It was like where is Kenny Clark, and then starting week two, it was like there's the All Pro. There we go. Okay, we're good now. Um, their pass rush, I mean, has really been limited uh, in terms of like the outside backers. Um, Rashawn Gary is a bull rusher. Um, I'm sure you've seen him play plenty at this point. Um, that's really the only thing he can do. He's getting depth in the backfield, just trying to run through your face. And if you can like sidestep him, you can get around him because he doesn't turn very well. Um, and then Preston Smith, he's done better, a lot better than he did last year. Um, he definitely is like his premier trait right now is like edge setter. You will not get outside of Preston Smith. Like that is like what they're hanging their hat on him. And then up front, it's like, Dean Lowry every once in a while has a couple splash plays. Kingsley Kiki every once in a while has a couple splash plays. But I, I kind of think like the weakness of this team right now is kind of like what the, what they're developing, like pressure wise, just penetration in the run game up front. It's kind of been weird to see because you're used to, you know, the Smith brothers and now Zadarius is out. And I guess Zadarius being out, changed a whole lot of things about this defense. I mean, I didn't realize it was going to have that big of an impact where it's like every everyone looks just like a tier worse. You know what I mean? 
And that's the problem is that the hope was Gary could take a step forward because he flashed last year in ways that he hadn't mm-hmm. before. I think, you know, obviously he's still raw, like you mentioned, but just that combination of traits was more, more evident down the stretch last year than it had been at any other point in his career. So you'd think you project a little bit. Well, maybe he takes a small step forward and we still have the Smiths. We still have Kenny Clark. It's like, all right, well, we can, this front can get cooking. And that just hasn't happened at all because that step hasn't happened. You remove Zedarius from the equation and you have a diminished version of Preston Smith, especially from the guy we saw a couple of years ago as a pass rusher. So then what are you left with? And now you're left with Kenny Clark and not much else, which is essentially on the opposite end of what you might've thought coming into the season, which has been a huge letdown. I think it's one of the reasons I thought this defense could be really good is that I had that first version in mind. And now I think they're kind of scraping toward, can we just be competent again, which is not where I thought this defense would be heading into the season. And they've done a really good job uh, overall, I think of like limiting explosive plays. You're not really seeing that. I mean, you got that one big shot to like Jamar Chase last week. Um, But outside of that, I mean, everything, they just make you chip your way down the field. Um, The problem with that, right, is because, again, Zadarius is out because they're so maxed out in terms of cap space. Like, they can't even really make moves right now. Um, The only way that they would be able to, like, bring in a big-name veteran, like, even at the trade deadline or anything, like, they have to redo Devontae's contract, essentially. That's the only way that they're going to be able to borrow money, you know, from the future to use for, for, for the now. So behind uh, Preston and uh, Rashawn Gary is Jonathan Garvin and Ladarius Hamilton. And they're really not bringing that much off the bench. The problem with Green Bay right now is they're very conscious about running the legs of the guys who can actually get pressure. So not only is it Preston Smith and Rashawn Gary are the only guys who can get pressure from the edges, it's that you can be five plays into a game and then they'll sub in their backup outside linebackers because they want to keep those guys legs ready for the fourth quarter, you know? And that that's one of the toughest things to watch where it's like the backups are in and like, you can kind of do what you want in the passing game in terms of like pass protection. Where do you think the run defense is right now? Cause I know they're the numbers have said they're still pretty bad. I don't want to say they're 29th in run defense DVOA through five games, but that's what the bears are trying to do offensively. And if you not, are not getting penetration and the Bears are going to just lean into that zone-heavy run game, I'm just curious how that plays out against this version of the Packers' run defense. You can keep them on the field is basically like how this run defense goes. There's not a ton of penetration. Kenny Clark is going to make some plays every once in a while. If uh, Dean Lowry is on a guard who can like not handle like his power and his length, um, that becomes a mismatch. We saw that last week. We saw that against San Francisco, but it's not consistent week to week. It really is like, can the right guard handle power? Can the right guard handle length? If the answer is yes, Dean Lowry is just zeros on the stat sheet. If the answer is no, he's going to get two TFLs, right? Or two pressures, whatever it is. Um, The big guy that's kind of helping them is Devondre Campbell. I mean, he's playing sideline to sideline. I don't know how much you've seen of him this season, but like he legitimately looks like a pro bowl caliber uh, linebacker right now. I know, you know, EPA, he's like super high. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with like turnovers, which we know like isn't sticky. But if you just watch the film, I mean, Devondre Campbell looks like one of the biggest free agent steals of the season. He's only getting like $2 million on a one-year deal and they were able to sign him in August. Um, it's kind of amazing that he's, he was out there, but he's been doing a great job for him. One thing that the Green Bay has done because of their lack of penetration up front because of their lack of depth that inside linebacker is they're using like a lot of three defensive tackle nickel, if that makes sense. So what they'll do is they'll put three, it's it's almost like a bare front, but out of nickel, right. Where you just take out one of the inside linebackers and you put a nickel uh, on on the field. So they have Devondre Campbell behind three defensive tackles, and then they'll have two edge rushers. And sometimes both of those edge rushers are outside linebackers. Sometimes they're one of them's an inside linebacker. They'll play Oren Burks out there because he's so damn fast. And they'll just say, hey, all you have to do is like chase down the backside of a run. That's your only job when we have three (laughs) defensive tackles on the field. Go do it. Um, So it's kind of interesting to see that because you see that a lot in college football. Um, You know, I would guess you see it a lot in like even down to the high school ball with the way that like college football is like just growing into like the X's and O's of high school ball. But you're not really seeing that type of front at the NFL level. So that's something that like they've been able to get an edge out of, I guess I would say. 
the backside of those runs is huge with the way the Bears are playing right now. I mean, that's what Khalil Herbert was hunting all of last week is just trying to like cut back, cut back, cut back. I and mean, then that's how they're living because they're not going to be able to just get a push. Like that's that this right. offensive line is not built to just bully people. So that's how they've had to run the ball. So I think it's definitely something worth keeping an eye on. Um, skill player wise, let's talk about Allen Robinson, right? Allen Robinson. He flirted with Green Bay for a little bit, signed with the Chicago Bears. Now he seems like, you know, every once in a while, he'll say something that's like, oh, Allen Robinson Robinson isn't so happy being a Chicago Bear. Do you guys think you can retain him? I feel like that would be a very difficult uphill battle. I mean, at this point, both with the lack of consistency in the past, maybe there's a world where Justin Fields plays well enough over the second half of the season. They develop a rapport. He's like, oh, I wouldn't mind sticking around with this guy like as, as he develops. Like, we, we have something here. But I think with how sour the relationship clearly is with the organization and with an offense that's throwing the ball 20 times a game, I don't know how many selling points there are to convince him that this is where he should be. The, the big selling point that I would remind him is like, hey, Justin Fields is the best dude to ever throw you a football. You played college football with Christian, Christian Hackenberg. You got the ball thrown to you by Blake Bortles for forever. And then you came to Chicago with a rotating cast of characters until we got Justin Fields. Like you, you are too old to be finding another landing spot with another good quarterback would be my, my pitch to uh, Allen Robinson. I think that he would probably garner some interest in free agency next year. For sure. If he hit the market, I think that there would still be people interested in him. And I think, there's definitely a couple potential landing spots that the quarterback play could be better than it is in Chicago, even with Justin Fields. I don't know where those would be right now, but like, let's say just hypothetically, I mean, I guess this, that's not a good answer. I keep thinking about who's going to play receiver for the Browns next year, because I have this sinking feeling that Landry and Beckham aren't going to be there and they're going to have Both this of money them. to throw around. Really? I wouldn't be surprised. OB, be surprised. OBJ makes a lot of sense to move on from just from like, doesn't seem like, someone needs to feed OBJ the ball, right? And that's not really what they're doing offensively. And he costs a lot of money and you're about to have to pay Baker Mayfield a billion dollars. So, And Jarvis costs a lot of money too. And for as many different things as he does for them, I just think the lack of overall explosiveness and just how limited he is as a playmaker is difficult. It's difficult to rationalize that price tag. So I keep trying to like put receivers on the Browns next year. Like, but what if Chris Godwin was on that team instead of like one of those guys? Like, that's fun. And like, yeah. he wouldn't cost that much more than they're both set to cost next year. But I, Alan Robinson going to Baker Mayfield isn't necessarily a, the, the type of quarterback jump he'd be looking for. I think it'd probably yeah. be need a little bit more than that. Um, I'm looking at your wide receiver depth chart. So Mooney was a guy who was interesting, right? So last year he kind of had somewhat of a breakout, like for a, you know, round five wide receiver who's mm-hmm. that long and that fast. That's fun. Uh, Mark, Marcus Goodwin. Um, Marquise, I, I never Marquise. Marquise. There we go. Um, Goodwin. I mean, he can fly. Uh, Perriman is an interesting one. I don't know if he's gotten on the field for you guys, but he has not Gray played yet. He was inactive last week. Oh, I mean, no. it is the group, the receivers they have. It's all guys, you know, yeah. it's Demir Bird. Hey, that Marquise guy's still here. Goodwin and Brashad Perriman. It, it's the guys that make up the entire Texans roster. Those are the, the, those sorts of guys. Those are the bears three through six receivers guys that you've just seen their name in random places. They've had one moment on red zone. We're like, Oh, that's a really nice play. Like Demir bird had the butt catch when he was playing for the Panthers. Like Brashad Perriman's had a couple long touchdowns, Like you know who they are, but I don't think you're excited about them at this stage. Yeah. Um, Perriman, I have an interesting Perriman story for you. So Perriman is the example of why teams use flying 20s now instead of 40-yard dash times because he was a track athlete who was so fast out of the blocks that his 10-yard split was so fast, it influenced the rest of his 40 time. Mm -hmm. But if you look at his flying 20, which is the last 20 yards of that 40-yard dash, he's very pedestrian. So, like, despite him running, like, a 4-3 or whatever – He's like pedestrian deep speed because he's so fast out of the blocks. And that's, that's one way, you know, teams have realized like the training for the combine, like that whole process has gotten so good that if you really refine stuff, you can like manufacture speed on paper in a way that it doesn't show up on film. So like a lot of teams are looking at flying twenties and stuff now because of that. 
feels like uh, a lot of teams are going to go to the GPS data too, right? I mean, like a lot of other, I mean, it's. Yeah, the beyond. big thing is you just don't have it at the college level, really. Um, like college teams have it. Um, some teams, I mean, that's kind of like a have and have nots type of thing, right? Yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Ohio yeah, State yeah. might have it. Western Michigan might not um, for, for practice and stuff like that in terms of like load management. So that gets tough. Um, Jakeem Grant, he just got traded from Miami. Has he gotten in the game yet? He's fun. Yeah. He's- uh, oh, he certainly did get in the game. He returned a punt from five yards deep in the end zone last week against the Raiders. True story. <laughs> Not only did he catch the punt five yards deep, he thought, you know what? I'm going to take it out. This is a good idea, and it's something I'm going to do. So See, he returned it to the 17-yard line. It's very okay. It was a hilarious choice. This is something that I've brought up a couple times. I always worry about the guy who has something to prove returning a punt we saw this with like when when Kristen michael uh was in green bay he would just return yeah, yeah. everything he's like i gotta get film out there like i gotta show coach something and then you just start doing like very dumb things that like impact your entire offense's like field position situation so i would imagine you know jakeem grant i think he's probably at the end of uh whatever deal miami signed him to getting traded to chicago i'm sure he's in a situation where he's like I got to prove something to make that like 2022 or 2023 game check. So I guess I got to return this punt five yards into the end zone. I, I truly don't know if I've ever seen that happen before. I don't think that deep. I don't think I've ever seen it. And when it was even in the moment, I was like, I cannot believe this is happening. Like when he caught it, I was like, what is going on? It's like, is it, I, is my brain short circuiting? Is it actually a kickoff? Like it was so, so weird. He's a fun guy though. He can fly. I, I love him. You know, I, I think a lot of people think like slot receivers in general are guys like Jakeem Grant, where it's like, oh, you're undersized and small and very fast. And the reality of the NFL, like you were saying, with the offensive line situation with Chicago, if you need to help your your offensive line, you cannot line up your slot receiver out that far. Like you have to you start using condensed yeah. splits. You have to that slot receiver has to like fit in on the safety in the run game. He might have to like chip a defensive end possibly like you see Alan Lazard and stuff like that do that a lot. I don't think a lot of guys are like actually that like Jakeem Grant or like uh, Dante Harris is another example with, with the saints. Yep. Um, they aren't really the small fast guys. So whenever the small fast guys do pop up, I always end up rooting for them um, in the run game. How, how are you guys doing with these running backs? Right. Is Damien, Damien Will, Williams going to be able to uh, shoulder the load here? Cause you're probably going to have to get a hundred yards on the ground to beat this Packers. I mean, Damian Williams is a fine player. I mean, he's a useful running back and Herbert looks pretty good last week. I mean, they essentially split carries. Okay. Uh, their snap counts were 50 50. And I think Herbert got one more carry than Damian Williams does. So, I mean, this is a team that I think in an ideal world, their approach offensively looks a lot like it did against the Raiders last week and has over the last couple of weeks. We want to run the ball 35, 40 times, throw it 20 to 25 times. And hopefully that's enough for us to squeeze out 21 points. And against Green Bay, it might be a little bit different, but that's what they've tried to do here over the last three weeks. So I, I think the running backs are fine. I mean, I was impressed with what I saw from Herbert last week with in his first extensive action. So if you're going to replace Montgomery, they do have options to do that, which I think was definitely a question for me coming into the Raider game. In the secondary, Green Bay has a couple questions. Um, obviously, they pop up when a guy like Jair Alexander goes on IR, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then Kevin King's dealing with a shoulder injury. He's still not practicing today. Um, I would say we're recording this on a Thursday. Um, I would say if your cornerback is dealing with a shoulder injury from Sunday and he is still not practicing at all on Thursday, there's a very good chance that guy doesn't play. So what what's going to end up happening is Eric Stokes is probably going to start. Um, he's actually certainly going to start, but the guy opposite of him is probably going to be, uh, Isaac Yadam, who was traded from the New York giants. I was there the day he was traded. I was at training camp. I saw the Isaac Yadam press conference. I was in the green Bay media auditorium when that happened. So I am aware that he is on the roster. There we go. Um, he's, he's done a solid job. The problem is like, they just have no depth outside corner. They really do divorce slot back and outside corner. And Yadam is already their fourth outside corner with how Jair and, and King have had injuries. So Russell Douglas was brought up from the uh, Arizona Cardinals practice squad last week. He didn't play in the game uh, last week. Um, they signed uh, Quentin Dunbar to their practice squad um, a couple of days ago. And it seems, I mean, he, he's not going to be there 
fast enough to be able to be activated for the game. But I mean, that's where they're at in the secondary. Like their safeties are nice. Um, Stokes has looked good uh, for, for kind of like that late first round investment for a rookie corner who's thrown into the fire immediately. But he's got juice to him. I mean, he is that recovery speed is very real. Yeah. He is a very fast person. It's yeah, it's nuts. And it's very weird because like Stokes is getting targeted like constantly. He's he's getting peppered. A lot of it's underneath stuff, which is like a lot of times when they're playing like quarters or like cover three, like, yeah, he's supposed to give that up. Like it's mm-hmm. the, the structure, the coverage structure is designed in a way where, okay, if you want to throw the ball there, we'll just give it to you. Um, so you said about limiting explosive plays. I mean, it's part right. of the philosophy that they're following defensively. Right. But you are seeing some of the, like his movement skills, not even just terms in terms of like explosion down the field, like long speed. Um, but like the way he moves his hips, like he's very close. Like he's not there yet, but you can tell that he's going to end up developing into a player. I think my I mean, big worry few rookie corners are right. I mean, it's right. the position that the development and the, this that process is notoriously slow and difficult yeah i mean you look at him and his teammate uh with the jacksonville jaguars right now and it's like two different worlds i'm, I'm pretty yeah. happy we took this bulldog <laughs> cornerback instead of the other one i know a lot of people had the other one high but my big worry is like isaac yadam all right if he's out there is he gonna get peppered if he goes down russell douglas is he gonna have to like basically like Isaac Yadam goes down in like quarter one and then Russell Douglas is out there and he's basically starting without having ever taken a snap with the team. Like that's a very real possibility. I would love to look at Russell Douglas's tax return over the last like three or four years and how many different states he's had to file in and just how many times he's had to pay a moving company. How many teams has he played for or been on the roster for in the last like four seasons? Yeah, so since just this season, Carolina, Las Vegas, Houston, Arizona, and then Green Bay. <laughs> so just, that's yeah, tough. And then unbelievable. The previous year, Philly and Carolina. But yeah, I mean, so it's only it's been this year. It's been this year. It's just, so I guess it hasn't been that many years. But like I, a calendar Philly year. and Carolina, yeah. I remember. But this year, I was like, he's been on at least three or four teams. It's absolutely bonkers. I mean, that life in general, I just can't imagine what it's like. Yeah, it's it's. I can't imagine that it's very fun. It's the same thing when you see like uh, the workout lists that come out on like Tuesdays, usually for like the NFL. Mm-hmm. And then it's like one team works out a guy. So they all feel like they have to work out a guy. So this guy just ends up like on this circuit of like every NFL team working him out for the entire <laughs> season with no one really having the intention of, of signing him, but just like, Hey, we need information on this guy that other teams seem to be interested in. It's, it's, the NFL, it's very odd. Uh, miserable. Yeah, <laughs> especially at that level. All right, so uh, we're going to throw it to break, and then we're going to talk about uh, the Chicago Bears defense and the Green Bay Packers offense. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're back. All right. So the biggest question I got, right? So Akeem Hicks hasn't been playing recently. Khalil Mack's been playing through a foot injury. They both showed up on the injury report yesterday. Seems like Khalil Mack, despite the foot injury, is still like a very big threat based off of what I saw in the the Raiders game last week. But how big is it just missing Hicks? Because he's one of the best interior defensive linemen in the league. It's certainly not a good thing, but I will say that it's the one area of the roster where they were able to sustain losing somebody because now that Mario Edwards is back, you have this rotation of Goldman, Mario Edwards, Bolal Nichols, Angelo Blackson now, 
And they have guys in that area of the roster in ways they don't have depth pretty much anywhere else. Like there is no other spot on the team that is able to sustain some attrition like their interior defensive line can. So it hasn't shown up that much. And that's a good thing because Akeem Hicks is a, still a very good player when he's healthy. And the fact that they can lose him and sustain, I think, speaks to the other guys they have in those spots. One of my draft crushes. So like last year, uh, I did some consulting stuff with uh, Bleacher Report and they, they had me watch their front seven guys for like their draft stuff. Tonga from BYU. I know you he's, love him. He's so fun. He is just a giant human who runs incredibly fast and is incredibly <laughs> strong. Like he still very much needs to like get reps under his belt to like play football at a high level, but he is just a, he's a lightning fast bully and it's just impossible to stop him. Um, if, if you guys have any, fair, uh, spree, uh, fair, Oh my goodness. Any free time, uh, go look at him against coastal Carolina which is basically running the triple option out of like shotgun structure. They have dudes who are like 250 pounds going against like a legitimate all world (laughs) athlete. And he's just throwing them to the side, like ragdolls. It's insane to watch. He's played, I want to say like 50 or 60 snaps on the season. And so he's gotten a little bit of run, but that group is, is pretty good. And I've enjoyed what they've done up front. I mean, I think that's one of the biggest, most interesting parts of what Sean Desai has done is he's not reinventing the wheel, but just some of the ways that they've used, some overload fronts in certain spots and just like the ways they position the nose in order to get matchups in the pass rush game and some of the stunts that they've used. It's not revolutionary, but I think the subtle ways they've been able to deploy those guys, which they lead the league in sacks without blitzing. And that's how they've been able to do that. And it's really been kind of the biggest marker of success for the entire defense. So are they like a big, cause I mean, this is happening league wide. This is happening again, college, high school, everything like, the answer people seem to be going to defensively is play too high, stunt the front. When it got back by stunning the front, is, is that essentially what they're doing? They have done a lot of that. There was a big TFL that Nichols had uh, last game. That's exactly what they did, where it's both interior defensive linemen just stunted one gap to the left. <laughs> the Raiders are running duo and the two double teams just missed the guys. So you have four offensive linemen just blocking no one because they stunted one gap to the left and then just made the tackle two yards deep in the backfield. So there's a decent amount of that. They've got, they've stolen gaps back that way. And yeah, I mean, it's the, and the way that they've kind of deployed those guys in the passing game as well. I mean, it's been the best part of what they've done defensively. Green Bay offensively. Um, it seems like Josh Myers is going to be back. Uh, Justin Field center from Ohio state. Um, he, he was, he missed last game with a finger injury and then Elton Jenkins, he played through a week two with an ankle injury. Everyone thought that like, maybe he's going to be able to play, you know, week three and he just hasn't been on the field since, um, you know, Nyman's kind of been locking down left tackle. He's had a good amount of help. Um, but for a undrafted dude who hasn't ever played in an NFL game, starting, uh, all those games back to back to back to back, he's done as well as you can ask for. Um, certainly higher than expectations I had, especially when they had questions of like, is Nyman even the guy who should start? Should it be, you know, Dennis Kelly? Um, should it be Ben Braden, who at some at one point was getting first team reps with uh, at left tackle with the ones uh, in camp and stuff like that. So he's done pretty solid, but they really need to get right game. I think on the, on the offensive front, because they haven't really seen a great defensive line. Like you got a little bit of a glimpse of it, against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, Pittsburgh, I think, was all out of sorts in that game. Uh, they got down early real quick. They had a couple uh, injuries that dinged them up. You know, who knows if, if Watt was playing at 100%. He was kind of blacked out uh, of the uh, box score. I know he got two sacks in that game. One came on a tripping and one came on a slide. So I'm not, I'm not necessarily <laughs> willing to give him credit for those ones. It might show up in the box score, my, my personal box score, not so much. But yeah, I, I just think this offensive line as a unit, they are much better than their collection of individuals. I mean, Billy Turner, who has had rough games in the past, is, is their best offensive lineman right now, frankly. And he's had their had the best season uh, among them. He's been the most consistent among them. Um, shout outs to him for that. But when you're playing against Khalil Mack, when you're playing against Robert Quinn, who still has some juice in him, when you're playing potentially against Akeem Hicks, Eddie Goldman is there. And then, oh yeah, Roquan Smith can play sideline to sideline. 
at inside backer. I mean, that's kind of a different animal than what they've been able to see at this point in the season. It's going to be a test. I mean, and the way that the bears have, and again, just not crazy stuff, but just subtle little tweaks on things. Like last week, they had two ETs with Mac where he's the penetrator and the tackles looping around and he got a sack off of that. And so just the little tiny moments where you're creating hesitation with some of those stunts, it's like, all right, who's going to ear hole me in from where? Like, that's what the bears are trying to do defensively. And that's when you're only rushing four, that's how they're trying to squeeze the pocket is just with consistent stunts with various alignments. And I think that they've done it in a really smart and effective way over the course of the season. Like they're going to test your offensive line. They are not going to make it easy. I don't, I think like you said, Mac is a diminished version of himself right now. I don't think he's going to destroy people one-on-one off the edge in the ways that we've seen him do in the past. But I do think the overall way that they're deploying these four is going to make it. It's an intensive day for your offensive line. It's a day where they're going to be able to take very few plays off because of just how many different things are going to come at them, even without the bears blitzing at all. Yeah. And that's one thing that I worry about in terms of like the youth of that line up front too. Right. I mean, Josh Myers, he just missed a game. It's his rookie season. He doesn't have that much under his belt. Um, Royce Newman, also a rookie. He's at right guard. Billy Turner's played a ton of football games. I'm the least worried about him. John Runyon, uh, I believe didn't start a game until this season. He's going to be starting at left guard. And then obviously there's that question mark of like, is Nyman going to be there at left tackle or is it going to be on Jenkins? Um, that could cut both ways, I guess. I mean, in terms of like Jenkins has only made or what he's only started twice at left tackle and it's been the first two weeks of this season and he hasn't done it in the past month. Um, so yeah, I mean, just handling all those stunts. I mean, it comes down to, a lot of times you hear these offensive linemen talk about it and it's like, it's about communication and like trust and like just that I can trust my teammate knowing that like, dude, you can do your job. I can like focus on what I need to do. Especially with all those moving parts going in and out. That makes it difficult. That's where yeah. continuity matters. It's like, yeah. on, I think in the run game, it's just understanding combinations and double teams. It's like, all right, I feel you here. I know when I have to leave and the passing game, it's, are we playing on the same level? Do we know exactly when we have to pass this off? Do I know when I have to leave it? And when you have component parts moving in and out and you have guys that just haven't played a lot of football, I mean, that's where as a Bears fan, I think it's like, all right, maybe this is an opening. Like maybe this is one area where we do have a distinct advantage in this game. Cause that is, that's see like what you're explaining there with the stunts and stuff, right. With that young offensive line, that's very different from, okay, we're going to use Robert Tanyan to chip Nick Bosa, or we're going to use him to chip, TJ Watt, right? Like that, that's <laughs> when that's the guy's a, not there, it doesn't help to chip him. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So that, that's, it, that's legitimately one of my concerns going into this game. And one of the reasons why I'm like, ah, I don't, it's not a hundred percent, right? It's not a hundred percent. It mitigates how much you can help a young left tackle when, when yeah. you have a tons of stunts and tons of just weird alignments where, I mean, the bears have done this a couple different times this year where Mac and Quinn will be on the same side. And if Mac is going to, slam inside and Quinn's going to loop around or vice versa. Tanya chipping off the end isn't helping anybody. I mean, that there's, there's no benefit to that. And I think that's why this bears defensive line has been hard to deal with because it's just hard to account for the ways they're going to come after you at this point. LaFleur actually talked about that today. Um, they asked him about, you know, how, how are you, you know, how much does it matter when Quinn and Mac are on the same side? And his answer was basically, it doesn't matter where they line up. <laughs> We're worried about them no matter where they line up. That, that's not the point of this. Um, Roquan Smith, you know, had, has had a great season so far. Um, that's secondary. Not a lot of names that will ring a ton of bells outside of like Eddie <laughs> Jackson, right? I mean, look at a Jalen Johnson, Kendall Vildor, Kendall Vildor. Uh, Duke Shelley, Xavier Crawford, Artie Burns. Artie Burns still collecting game checks. There you go. I'm happy for Artie. How, how are they performing this season? Uh, Jalen Johnson's a dude. I mean, he's, he's, uh, he's real. I think the last year you saw a lot of the ball production and this year he, he's just a good corner. I think he's going to be a good corner for a while. Roquan Smith is awesome. <laughs> he is some of the things that they just ask him to do. It's one of the, sometimes when you're watching a linebacker put in certain positions in coverage on an NFL defense, occasionally it's why are they doing this? Like this is a mistake in planning and just overall scheming with him. I think it's a vote of confidence. A lot of the things they ask him to do in coverage, I mean, he's one-on-one with linebackers on the outside. It's not a mismatch for him. 
he carried once it was Brian Edwards up the seam last year, last week, where they're trying to run that little fake over, take it vertically. And against a linebacker, that's often a mismatch up the hash. Roquan just runs with him, plays the ball perfectly through his hands and has a pass breakup in the end zone. It's like, this guy just is able to do stuff in that area of the game that very few other linebackers are, which is cool because coming out, he was that sideline to sideline tackling machine. Like that was the excitement is that he was just this kind of force of nature, but watching him in all these refined ways in coverage now is just such a cool aspect to his game. He's a real player. So those two guys on the back end are playing better than anyone else. Eddie Jackson is just, we're never going to see 2018 Eddie Jackson again. I, I just think that was a moment that has passed and he's doing some pretty good things this year. I think that they've actually, especially last week when uh, on third down, when they play man, he would walk down and they have two, they play three safeties and he would actually be in man coverage on Waller or some, somebody like that. And that's actually, he did a decent job in that role last week, but it just, he has not been the player that he was before. And then those other guys, it's been up and down. You know, they've had some really rough moments. Obviously, the Rams game was a very public rough moment. Last week, they had a couple breakdowns in coverage. I think that there are still some miscommunication issues every once in a while that you could take advantage of with this team. And I think that the Packers offense is the exact type of unit that is going to be able to take advantage of that. But overall, I think that the answer is, especially on the back end, they are playing much better than their component parts would lead you to believe. Because I think that there's buy-in, and I think that you have a couple guys individually that are playing at a really high level. One thing that's interesting about kind of like Green Bay structure, right, is they'll test you. If, if you're putting your – if you have an athletic – it's almost counterintuitive, right? If you have an athletic linebacker, you're going to do weird things with that athletic linebacker that helps you keep the structure of your defense intact without having to switch into something else, Right. What the Packers will do is they have enough confidence in the accuracy of Aaron Rodgers that they'll essentially just throw like they'll throw to that linebacker one on one and you can run with the tight end, you know, up the seam or, you know, that whole shot in like Tampa two, and they'll just throw it while your back is turned and just hope that you get DPI. I mean, we watched it with uh, the San Francisco 49ers game. It was a good look at it against Fred Warner where stupidest throw. Yeah, it's just Absolutely insane. ridiculous, that one. It's not even It's not even with, like, the hope that it's going to be a high-completion ball. It's just, like, DPIs happen. Like, hopefully that linebacker gets lost at some point. Maybe he gets lost in translation when he's turning back to make a play on the ball. Like, it's stuff like that. And you can only do that when your quarterback is as accurate as Aaron Rodgers. But I do think that that would be an interesting matchup to see, you know, if this is the game that they can finally get the Robert Tanyan bomb because he has like 80 yards for the season through five games. And he's done a lot of things. Like I said, you know, when you have a basically like a practice squad guy, at left tackle, um, you have to use that linebacker. You have to use that tight end to chip outside linebackers and defensive ends. So he hasn't been as involved in the passing game as you would think, but with MVS out their answer in the passing game really turns into like a binary. Like, are you, doubling and or bracketing and or rotating coverage to Devonte adams if so then our deep shots then have to go to either randall cobb or robert tunyon and tunyon hasn't come down with a ton of them he's gotten a couple of dpis and stuff like that but he hasn't really come down with those big plays yeah i mean it's that's it goes back to the question of this offense all the time right it's like well we know that Devonte adams is by far and away the number one option can you take that away? And the answer most of the time is just no. That's the problem is that it should be a world where just make someone else beat us. And most defenses can't do that. Like it just the whatever response defenses have, the Packers have an answer just by virtue of the trust that Devontae and Aaron have with one another, because that's a huge part of it, right? It's like even when he's covered theoretically, he's still going to throw him the ball. It's the old Jordy stuff except Devontae Adams is a better receiver than Jordy Nelson. So you have every bit of that trust and commitment with a more talented player. And I think that you've seen that show up all the time this year. Like, it's absolutely ridiculous. The guy that leads the NFL and targets by, what, like six or eight, like more than any other player in the league, that you know what's happening and teams still can't do anything about it. It's insane. Yeah. Uh, I, I wrote up the MVP odds for Acme Packing Company this, uh, this week. So eighth is Aaron Rodgers, ninth is Patrick Mahomes, 10th, Devontae Adams, wide receiver, 
on a team with a negative point differential. That's interesting. It, <laughs> it is so tough. What they do with, with Devontae Adams, really, I mean, Green Bay is the poster child for how you use RPOs in like the modern NFL structure right mm-hmm. now. 100%. That comes Just up all be- the time in conversation with coaches. Yeah. It's so different from like what Philadelphia was doing um, when, when uh, they went on their Super Bowl run and stuff. Like the way that they have adapted RPOs into their game is so different. And rotating coverage to Devontae Adams on base downs on run plays, like those are things that you didn't have to use to worry about at the NFL. And now they're stress, stress testing the structure of these defenses just constantly. Um, in the run game, Aaron Jones has kind of been on the uh, injury report the last two weeks for an ankle injury. It doesn't really seem like it's anything that's going to keep him from playing a game. They're just kind of like being uh, precautious, I guess, about it. But A.J. Dillon, I mean, he is turning into this like downhill bowling ball for Green Bay where their inside runs really are like it's A.J. Dillon inside runs. If you need to pass or get to the edge, it's usually Aaron Jones. But A.J. Dillon caught a sizable touchdown reception last week and he's getting more involved in the in the passing game so like they actually have like a two-headed backfield now I think that's kind of interesting and something to watch because Aaron Jones for as good as he is he still kind of is like I don't want to say like a wide receiver playing running back but something close to that where AJ Dillon is like what you think of when you think of a running back like that dude is going to be run between the tackles primarily when Green Bay is going to get into these playoff games and they're going to be playing in cold weather, like that's the dude that they're going to have to ride, I think. I remember talking to Staley in the summer about that game in the playoffs last year, and he was just talking about how at that point they had three because Jamal was still there. Right. And just talking about how when they have those three guys and they just keep coming downhill at you and they're fresh because they have all three of them, it presents a challenge to a defense, especially at that stage of the season. And I think that whether you can agree with the overall value of it, signing Aaron Jones, spending that second overall pick on AJ Dillon, that's why you do it is because if you're playing for January, you're going to have those two guys still hopefully relatively fresh. And like you said, when it gets cold out, when you don't want to be tackling that 250 pound dude with the, with the thighs, he's going to have a hundred carries on the season coming at you with all those tread on that tread on the tires. So I completely understand. I mean, it's, it's not a fun offense to play against, man. I mean, even with the offensive line, how many teams could deal with the offensive line losses that they've had and still survive to this extent and still be this dangerous? I know it. I mean, they're like in their middling offense in like most efficiency metrics right now, but even that you don't notice it. You don't, it's not something that's going to torpedo them. And I think it speaks so much to the coaching staff and everything else they have there. The fact that they've been able to keep this thing on the tracks despite losing as many guys as they have up front already. Yeah. And not even just the offensive line, just the team. I mean, you're losing a potential defensive player of the year, pass rusher. Yep. You're losing probably a top three corner. I would say in the NFL, yeah. you lost uh, Elton Jenkins for at least, you know, a couple weeks. Who's one of the most versatile offensive linemen in the league. And David Bakhtiari still hasn't played and he's the best pass blocking left tackle in the league. So like there, there's not a lot of teams who can handle that. Plus, you know, MVS now being out uh, as like their speed wide receiver, which, you know, in terms of like the national perspective of wide receivers, like probably not that high, but like he was their one speed guy, right? Like you lost yeah. the one speed guy offensively. How does that change the structure of the offense? It's just the other thing that those very guys odd. talk about with the RPOs. I mean, that's what it's so funny talking to other coaches from the the way that I say it is that the Packers offense shares DNA with the Niners, with the Rams, all this other mm-hmm. stuff. Like it's not the same offense. We all know that, but it shares DNA with it. And the one defining characteristic of schematically outside of Rogers being there that the Packers do is all the RPOs. And the one thing that a coach brought up to me this summer and we we're talking about it and he said, well, but yeah, it's not just that they have Aaron to run those RPOs the other receivers they have on the field are hulking monsters. I mean, they, that's yes. the benefit of not having a receiving core of, of having a receiving core with some redundancies body type wise. Cause they do like, they have not had a slot option in the last three years like that. They just haven't had that body on the offense and that has its drawbacks. But the benefit is if you have Lazard MVS and Devante out there at the same time, those other two guys are huge. 
if you just flip it out to Devontae, you have guys that can push people around as blockers, which it's one of the more fascinating aspects of how their skill position group has been built over the last couple of seasons. I have a story for you about shared DNA um, before we get into our predictions. So last week, right, that, that long chase touchdown, I'm sure you saw it a billion times on Twitter.com, right? Yeah, people kept reminding me about it as a, as a Sewell guy. Oh, no. Oh, no. The Bengals fans, they're, they're passionate. They're passionate. You got to give them it. Um, they need something. <laughs> but so you're talking about shared DNA. The reason that play happens, if you go back and look at it, they have a four-man front. Their two defensive linemen, interior defensive linemen, rush the passer. Their outside linebackers fold back over the ball like they're trying to play quarterback draw, and they just get no pressure on Burrow. Burrow holds the ball for eight seconds. He launches it to Chase, who runs. Uh, the tracking data had him for 108 yards on the play. The reason that happens, LaFleur talked about it in, in the postgame presser, the defense heard uh, Joe Burrow make a check. They thought because the check, you, it was the same word that the Packers offense has as a check. Because they share that DNA, they thought that they were going to check into a different play rather than that deep shot, which I can only assume was like a quarterback draw or something with the way that they played their outside linebackers. So they heard Burrow say something. They thought it meant something. It didn't. They completely blew the pass rush and then just get dotted down the field That's at the really end funny. of the half. That's, I've never heard that one before. I've heard mishearing a check, right? Like words rhyming or something like that, and you mishear it. I've never heard like, yeah, we were trying to steal checks from the offense using our offense's check system. We guessed wrong, and we got dotted with 40 seconds left in the half. The definition of outsmarting yourself. Like, there has never been a more perfect example. <sighs> yeah, tough. All right, uh, predictions time. So this game right now, uh, I think it opened at a three-point line. Uh, Green Bay favored on the road. Uh, that's c- relatively similar to, like, what the Bengals had, I think. I mean, I might get some flack for this. I think Justin Fields is a better quarterback than Joe Burrow. I know Joe Burrow can operate an offense more consistently. Um, he never really threw the ball down the field, and that's how you kill teams. I'm sorry. Like, at this point in the NFL, with the way offenses are just collecting points consistently, you have to be able to throw a deep ball. You have to be able to get explosives. It's not about completion percentage anymore. It's not about holding the ball anymore. you got to put up points. So how do you feel about the Chicago Bears team going uh, against this Packers team? I think they're loose. I I don't know by exactly how much. Something says to me like 27 to 13, something like that, like in that range where the game's never really in doubt, but it's not a blowout. Packers get a couple explosive plays down the field. Because again, there are those moments where it's it's covered every game. Like two defensive backs run into each other on the long chase touchdown against the Bengals. Brian Edwards dropped the ball last week that would should have gone for 50 yards. You know, the Rams game, obviously, there are several high-profile miscommunications. Like, there is going to be, in my opinion, one or two defensive breakdowns for Chicago in this game. I think down in and down out, they're playing better than I expected them to. But I do think there are going to be a couple moments. And I still have my concerns about how, they, how they're moving the ball. Like, I hope, the, I hope I'm wrong about this. I, <laughs> I hope that they do better offensively than that. But I still think that it's pretty stop and start for them on that side of the ball right now. I still have, yeah, I have faith in Green Bay coming out with a win in this one. The the one thing that is the major cause for concern for me is like, if they can get that line going, if they can figure out how to bottle up Devontae, I know those are two big questions. I guess Devontae is a bigger question than uh, causing trouble for that offensive line, but you just get like one weird sack and then it's like, oh, the drive died and Chicago's on the field and the Packers run defense just can't get off the field and they're just getting that's, run down. They did last week. That was the exact, that's the exact yeah. formula from last week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that, that's the one thing that worries me. Um, I'll feel better if they can say, you know, Jenkins for sure can start at left tackle. That would go, I think <laughs> that would go a long way. Um, but until I see that, I mean, we might not even get that confirmation until, uh, you know, Sunday morning or something like that. Then I'm still going to be antsy about this game. Uh, appreciate the time, Robert. He deserves the break. He deserves a little bit more time off. I want to see him as healthy as possible (laughs) for the rest of this season because he's a great player. And you you hate to see guys that you really respect and enjoy watching as banged up versions of themselves. No one wants that. 
I think he should just take one more weekend off and then he'll be back. This team has got to think long-term, man. They have to think about the goals that are most important when it comes to this season. And that's why I think Al Jenkins should take one more week off. Oh, enough, enough. We got a negative point differential. I want, I want the one seed. I need games in Lambeau. All right. appreciate it, Robert. Uh, do you have anything to uh, plug? You, uh, we do podcasts every day. Yeah. <laughs> we do podcasts every single day on the athletic football show. If you like football podcasting, uh, please come check it out. It's a different flavor every day. Uh, today, Friday, we are doing our Friday five preview that we do every single week with me and Nate Tice, who, you know, very well. Um, yeah, we just we pick five things every week, whether it's a matchup game player, whatever, and we dig into it and we're about to start recording that very shortly. So if you have not listened, uh, I would appreciate it if you did. Yeah. And I'll vouch for that too. I, I make it a point to listen to that one every week. You and Tice, um, Tice was on the other side of the, uh, minor league football, not minor league spring league football. Uh, expansion. He was an AAF guy. I was an XFL guy. So that's kind of how we met. And we just talk crap all the time, but he's a great dude. Um, love your work there. Uh, again, appreciate the time, Robert. Anytime, bud. Talk to you soon.